Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The idea of women having it all. Talk to me about that phrase. Do you feel like there's a place for it today? No. No. <laughs> Tell me why. Hello and welcome to Love Lives, a podcast from The Independent where I, Olivia Petter, will be speaking to different guests about the loves of their lives. Today I am delighted to be joined by the best-selling author, award-winning writer and fellow podcaster Lorraine Candy. She joins me to discuss the loves of her life and her latest book, What's Wrong With Me? 101 Things Midlife Women Need to Know. Hi Lorraine. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. As I mentioned, you have such an incredibly impressive career and as someone who, you know, basically grew up reading all of the magazines Aww. that you edited when <laughs> I was trying to be a journalist, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Um, but I won't just ask you about journalism because that would be very selfish of me. Um, so before we get on to discussing your newest book, I want to ask you a bit about your first one. Mum, What's Wrong With You? 101 Things Only Mothers of Teenage Girls Know. It was a bestseller, as I mentioned, a huge success. So can you tell us a bit about what you examined in that book and why you think it resonated with so many people? Well, I think throughout my career, what I'm trying to do is make women leading their normal daily lives feel less alone. And I, th I seem to have, with both books actually, sort of tried to define something that came as, it was a bit of a shock having teenage girls. <laughs> and I hit, you know, coming as a woman from women's journalism, it was really odd to suddenly find myself in a really strange place with, with my two eldest daughters. Um, they were a bit mean and they were really unfriendly. They seemed to be going through such turmoil and I just couldn't work out what was going on. I couldn't work out why we were kind of separating in this really, it seemed a really uncomfortable and unhappy way and why it was such hard work. Um, and loads of other mums were saying the same to me and I thought this bears exploring, let's investigate it, let's find out what's going on. And I found out that, you know, there are scientific reasons, you know, it's a very big emotional change, their brains are being taken apart and rebuilt, that's new neuroscience that they've only really found out about in the last sort of few years. And as they do that, the separation process is quite difficult, much more difficult than you would think. But you know, and it's not for parents experiencing kind of extreme situations. It's parents who just on a daily basis think, why are we rowing about this all the time? Why is there so much mess everywhere? Why am I so cross with her? Why is she so cross with me? And all of those things are explainable. I mean, finding and building your identity is an enormous thing to do. Trying to do it while your brain's being taken apart is an enormous thing to do. Trying to do it while you're grappling with social media, peer, peer pressure, your sexuality, your identification around gender, grappling with all that, it's so huge. And I learned just not to take it personally as a mum. And I learned that really what you do is you hold the rope while they're flailing around on the end of it. So before I was taking it personally and there were all these tiny little things that you could do as a parent that would make such big difference, learning to listen properly, you know, never quizzing them about things, just chatting with them side by side, just being in the room rather than solving all the problems. And I just didn't know any of that. And I thought, well, it seems very simple 
but I can't, I couldn't find that information anywhere. And I'm a journalist, so I thought, well, let's just put it all in a book and yeah. tell some of the stories and and try not to, you know, still guard my children's privacy because I felt I hadn't done that earlier on in their in their childhood. I'd written about them, and actually, in retrospect, that probably wasn't a wise thing to do, especially knowing what we know about social media and stuff. Now, so I was learning so much. And I think when you've got a big audience around you, you know, all my readers had come with me from magazine to magazine, it would have been a bit unfair not to share yeah. that. Yeah. It's interesting. I think it's such a difficult time to be a teenage girl <laughs> now. Yeah. You know, I have a sister who is 15 and, you know, I, I grew up with social media, but not not really. You know, Instagram came around in 2010 we weren't really on it until we kind of got to uni and even then it wasn't that big a deal. And I think now, you know, my sister is on TikTok all the time, Instagram all the time. They're posting like sexy selfies of themselves. They're doing like sexy dance videos. And it just seems like an incredibly difficult time to be a young girl because all of those kind of pre-existing issues that are normal for young girls to have, I feel like have been exacerbated by social media. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult time to be a young boy as well. Actually, I think whichever gender you are or identify as, it's a very difficult time because there's so much coming at you. I don't think, and certainly I talk to a lot of scientists and I talk to a lot of researchers, I don't think social media per se is to blame Mm. for that. I think it's how we teach our children to curate it. It's how we prepare them mentally to deal with it. And, you know, we need to learn what's going through their mind before they've even picked up phone I think that's the, the key here and we need to have some boundaries around it um, actually teenagers do tend to set their own boundaries and we need to trust them a lot more I don't think we can police it in a hard line way because I don't think that's helpful mm. because you know you can say I'm not going to give my children a phone ever a smartphone um, and they will find a way so you know and that will just make them secretive but w- what we did was say no phones when you're on your own in your room in the dark of the night because <laughs> that's, that's when your brain's not working yeah. in the same way so we, we had rules like that but otherwise we allowed our children to have phones and we allowed them to explore it themselves and there is no smoking gun here that that has not been found yet in the research mm. it's certainly it was reminiscent for me of the of some of the discussions i'd had around girls mental health um, and weight and body uh, when i was editing a fashion magazine Sometimes you're so desperate as a parent because it's so worrying and and when you see your children, your daughters in pain, you need to find one thing to blame. Actually, you have to look in a bit. You have to look at the family circumstances. You have to look at how your children are being supported at school and what's going on around them and to know also that they're all really, really different. So one child can deal with things, another Mm. child may not. And I learned about a concept called the orchid and the dandelion, which really hadn't crossed my mind. And, you know, we we are quite dismissive when when Gen Z talk about their mental health. And, you know, we call them snowflakes, which is a terrible thing to call a generation. But actually, there are dandelions in psychiatric terms who are quite strong and who can deal with that. It's just their genetic and neurological makeup. And there are orchids who are a much more fragile mind. And that's not your fault as a parent, and that's not society's fault, and that's not social media's fault. That's very specific to your child. So specifically when you have four as well, like I do, watching each of them very differently dealing with things. It's just, I learned to be slightly more tuned in um, and not to blame myself for everything because I think parents do blame themselves for everything and that's that's yeah. not good either. Well, that's really interesting because I've never heard that before, the neurological explanation, because I think today there's such an obsession with things like attachment theory and this idea that, you know, if you are a particularly sensitive person or you are hyper aware, particularly in romantic Mm. relationships, 
it's because of the way you were raised. It's because of the way you were brought up. But actually, of course, it's not that simple. There are no. probably just basic neurological reasons as to why you are the person that you are. So I think and that's really important to know that. context and time and yeah. what you're going through at the time and you know how other people react to you. It's so specific. Mm. And tell us about your new book. So what was it that compelled you to write this one? And tell our listeners what it's about. Well, it's called uh, What's Wrong With Me? Because it was a phrase I around the age of 47, I just seem to keep saying every day, uh, 101 things midlife women need to know. So it pays partners, uh, the other book. But I had gone through completely unexpectedly, a huge unraveling. Um, There's no history of mental health issues in my family. So I knew there was no genetic issues, but I had stopped sleeping, but not only stopped sleeping, I'd had night terrors. I was waking up covered in sweat. I couldn't remember anything. I mean, literally couldn't remember anything. I got in the car, I didn't know which side of the road. It was the oddest feeling. Um, my joints ached and I was just monumentally depressed. And it, I just came apart and it was the weirdest. I was getting up earlier and earlier. I was doing more and more exercise. I was drinking less. I was doing all the things thinking that, you know, I've obviously got a brain tumor or dementia or um, something, something really seriously is wrong. I just couldn't see the point of anything. And it was a, it was kind of a horrendously dark place to be. And I thought, this is, why am I going through this on my own? I better not talk about it. It's kind of shameful. I've been very capable and now I was completely incapable. And I was absolutely filled with a rage that was so murderous and <laughs> furious. It wasn't just a kind of, oh, someone's left the lid off the milk. How annoying. It was like, if someone does that again, I'm going to stab them to death with a knife. It was just the worst place to be. <laughs> and it was so surprising. Yeah. And I talked to my uh, friend Trish Halpin, who I co-host podcast uh, Postcards from Midlife with. And I said, Trish, I've got to tell you something. I think I've got a brain tumor. She said, I've got cancer. I've got, I've got something awful going on. I've just thrown a hoover down the hall. I've attacked, you know, it was just, we just, we had the same thing. And then we thought, well, that's a bit weird. How can we both be going through the same thing? And then I'd written vaguely about it at work and uh, in a piece called The Creeping Sadness in Ellen, a friend of mine rang me up and said, I've got that too. And she was the same age. She said, it's awful. It's like, it was like tendrils of darkness coming into our, world every day and it was so weird so I went to the GP I went to the GP twice and they offered me antidepressants and I said I just don't think you know that might work for, for somebody it's just mm. doesn't feel like the right thing for me I've I've just got no joy in anything and you know these night terrors getting worse and worse <laughs> um, and then I did some research and found uh, I suppose you would call her the medical expert who kicked off what is now the menopause revolution, Dr. Louise Newson. And I went to see her because I was writing a spa special for Sunday Times Style. And I thought, well, we better get this information out there because there's obviously something going on. And she, she said, well, you're going through this thing called the perimenopause, which is the 10 or 12 years before the menopause. So the perimenopause is when all the hot flushes and all the kind of traditional symptoms that we sort of laugh at women getting older for having happen so you but there's over 40 symptoms and there's no blood test that tells you this but it you know every woman will have one of the symptoms um but depression is quite a big symptom because estrogen is in every single part of your body and when it fluctuates and disappears mm. it affects your whole metabolism so it's a mood regulator in the brain so it, it helps um serotonin work so to carry the messages so when it goes there's no one regulating your mood and it stops you sleeping because it raises your temperature when it disappears. So if you can't sleep, sleep is a mood regulator. If you're losing nights and nights of sleep, 
and you can't regulate your mood and all your estrogen's disappearing and your progesterone and your testosterone, it's, it's a hormonal depletion that's causing absolute chaos. Now, not everybody goes through exactly the same things, but you know, it leads to le women leaving work, leaving relationships. It, we, we have spoken on the podcast and in our private Facebook group to women who've been very suicidal and you know, people who've written their notes before they've got help. So we just thought, this is awful. Why are people not talking about it? And I just kept waking up every day going, what is wrong with me? And you know, you hit this point as well where society doesn't value you anymore. You are almost invisible because most of Gen X are used to being judged by their looks and youth being what is valuable. You don't see any role models uh, on screen. You don't see them in books. You don't see them on the telly. And suddenly there's no one in front of you. You're not you anymore. And your identity is just floating away. And it's a very strange time that most women will go through. If you know it's coming, it won't ambush you. And I just thought, I should write all this down because this is not... Um, it's not fair if I don't share this. And then at the same time as we started the podcast to talk about it, uh, we interview you know, mainly women over 40, it started to kind of rumble behind us because you know, Generation X are not quiet. We're not a quiet generation and we, w we want to talk about it. So we've started to talk about it. And I'm really hoping your generation, Olivia, <laughs> millennials will come through saying, oh, well, you know, if I change a few things now and I know what I went through as a teenager and how my periods are and how my um, gynecological health is, it's coming at me. I know how to deal with this. I won't be plunged mm. into this terrible place. And, I, and, and, you know, because the rest of midlife is magnificent. Yeah. You know, it's a great place to be. I mean, hearing you say all that, it just makes me so angry because I was going to ask, why don't we know all this? I know the reason why we don't know all this, know because women's health is not prioritized. <laughs> There's not enough funding. I've literally just written a piece about contraception and how, you know, on this other end of the scale, women are forced to kind of play Russian roulette until they find a contraception that doesn't make them crazy or make them you know depressed or give them really sore breasts or migraines or whatever and it's just like all of this stuff we should know it we should know it in school and you know when you talk about the perimenopausal symptoms I had no idea about any of the stuff until I started listening to your podcast and reading your work about this and you know I would have probably thought menopause oh yeah hot flushes that's like the one thing that most people mm. my age and younger would probably Most say. women don't get hot flushes, so it's... Which it's, is just ridiculous. Know, <laughs> so, kind of, yeah. I mean, the miseducation, it just makes you so angry. Um, I want to talk to you a bit more about the identity thing that you mentioned, because it reminds me of this passage in The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf that I kind of always come back to when I think about the way that society views women over a certain age who, you know, obviously women as they get older they get more powerful they get they know their bodies more they become more confident they become more successful at work and so what a patriarchal society does is tries to find ways to oppress them further to stop them from getting more powerful i guess subtly and i think one of the ways that we see that is we see women over a certain age positioned as undesirable and we see this messaging really, really clearly in popular culture. You know, you look at any rom-com, the heroine is almost always in her 20s or 30s. And the women who are in their 40s or 50s or 60s are sort of the mothers or the wise figures giving them sage advice. And it's like the idea that, you know, once you get over a certain age, you're not desirable, you're not attractive, you're not worthy of love, certainly not sex. And I just... I want to know what your opinion is on all of that now, because I think there have been efforts to change that. 
not enough and it's a bit slow. <laughs> but what do you make of that? And particularly within the context of sex, because I know that that's something that you talk about in the book and on the podcast quite a lot. Well, all of it just makes me absolutely furious, as you can imagine. Um, we've had medical gaslighting um, for such yeah. a long time. There was a survey about HRT that was just wrong 20 years ago. That caused all the problems. I write about that in the book, um, hormone replacement therapy. But it's just about not having the role models. But what is happening is more and more women are in positions where they are directing movies so they can put the role models mm -hmm. in. I mean, if you look at the Golden Globes, the Oscars this year, you know, the Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, Michelle Yeoh, I mean, yeah. all of the people winning were older women. Yeah, that it was, was very like cool. they'd all been hidden somewhere and yeah. suddenly they were allowed out. But it, it, what, it isn't that. It's just that society hasn't really deemed us valuable and we've slightly colluded with that by not being more vocal about it. Well, more of us not being more vocal about it. Uh, we interviewed Georgia Pritchett, who's one of the writers of Succession on the show, and she talked about creating Jerry. Mm. Um, because originally, Jerry was supposed to be a man, and, and the female I writers said, if we do that, most of these scenes in boardrooms and places and where the power stuff happens, yeah. where the money stuff happens and the sex stuff happens, will just be men. It will just be screens and screens yeah. of men. And they said, OK, bring, bring in a woman, make her a motherly, maternal figure. And they, some Georgia, the women writers said, why? Why make her a mother? Yeah. You know, the women are still sexual beings at that age. Let's make her, you know, let's make her top of her game in business. Let's make her a sexual being. Let's, let's make her part of that. And it was a slightly revolutionary thing to do, even in this time, I think. But what is coming? And I think this is, so you only really change things when you hit sex money. Because those are the things that give you power. So that's the things, if you want men to change their ideas and thoughts or the patriarchy around things, it's sex and money where you, where you hit it. Mm. So a lot of women in midlife uh, have terrible sex lives because we get something called vaginal atrophy, which I know that's, I can see your little face, that must be a terrible thing to hear as a millennial. Oh, absolutely Yeah, terrifying. no, it's, it's a kind of, you know, estrogen <laughs> is in, in every part of your body, the lining, the membranes, get thinner. So um, sort of vaginal, vulvar membranes get thinner. So it's, it's very difficult for many, many women. And there are many, many symptoms. But we don't have to do that anymore. The estrogen pessaries is an over-the-counter thing now. Oh, so really? a lot of women are rediscovering their sex lives. And they will. Because what we found is released from the burden of periods, released from any chance of getting pregnant, it makes women suddenly much more interested in their powerful around their sex lives. Again, the, the, the sex toy sales are uh, going through the roof. We've had two women on the show in their late 50s and early 60s who talk about all their relationships with men under 40. A lot of women in midlife who are single um, are dating much, much younger men yeah. because they say they are so confident. They, the women, are so confident in bed and they don't want to find the one. So they're in a really powerful place. So I think that will shift society a little bit I think men will start to think what the, hold on you know middle-aged men who are, were in positions of power who mm. slightly threatened that they aren't anymore so I think that is coming I think there's a really big sexual revolution coming there's a piece in one of the papers literally yesterday about the joy of midlife sex you know midlife women are much more experimental sexually and um, they have relationships with women as well a lot of, of women change um, 
who they want to be with in terms of sex as they get older. We did a survey on it last year. It's a really, really important That's for really the podcast part of women's lives and is a, a way of regaining power and that erotic charge is really energetic um, and I think that that's a good thing and I think women are staying in work longer so you know the the women over 50 are the fastest growing part of the workforce and once you get what you need to help with help with perimenopause and menopause you've got so much experience I mean I point out in the book in many cultures around the world Japan and places like that older women are, are really revered it's kind of that people are quite proud, pleased to have older women in the room. They're given more positions of power, uh, doors open for them. But somehow in, in, a, in our Western culture and in our, actually in our culture culture, in our media, in the UK and, and America particularly, they're not. Um, and that's unfair. But I just, I don't think women will stand for that much longer. Mm. I mean, it sounds simplistic to say, but I think it, you know, it will take a while. But I think there are more women in these. We're, we're seeing so many more women. I mean, you know, you look at J-Lo at the Super Bowl. You look at, it's just kind of... You know, even if you don't want to do that and put in that effort and, and look like that at age, there are still women in really powerful positions yeah. now. And um, I think it'll just get more and more. And finally, before we move on to the loves of your life, I want to ask you about, because you referenced this in the book, um, and, you know, having worked in magazines for as long as you did, I feel like this is something you will be very familiar with, the idea of women having it all. And what's interesting about that is I think that someone might look at someone like you with the children, four children, the career that you have and have had and think this is the archetypal woman that has it all. So because really when we say have it all, I think in my mind, you think of a woman who is very successful, but also has managed to have a family life because those are, I guess, the two things that are constantly mm. pitted against one another. Um, so talk to me about that phrase. Do you feel like there's a place for it today. No. No. <laughs> Tell me why. No, I think it's a terrible, terrible phrase. And I, I'm, I work for Helen Gurley Brown, who invented uh, that phrase. She was the founding editor of Cosmopolitan, probably the most successful print magazine in the world. It was a globe, it would dominated the globe. Everywhere it was sold, it was number one. And the premise of it was you could be brilliant at work, you could be brilliant in bed, you could have a family, you could be financially independent. It's a dream that was sold to women. And actually, I think what we heard was do it all. Mm. So we just worked so hard. I do a whole chapter in the book about burnout yeah. and this bizarre endurance mindset that we had as a generation. And it's really common. I interviewed hundreds of women for the book. So this is, you know, and I interviewed women from incredibly different backgrounds. You know, I come from quite a working class background. I left school at 16. I have no qualifications um, and I grew up in Cornwall. But I interviewed black women, brown women. I interviewed, um, you know, women from every background I could to just get some sense of whether this endurance mindset was just a more white privileged it's a Gen X mindset. It really is. You know, whatever you do, where we worked so hard and we tried so hard to do all the things, and men didn't back us up. They said they would. They might have been at home more, but they still needed a to do list from us. They didn't have the emotional labor. There's been so much written on this in their minds. They just, they just weren't there for us, even if they really wanted to be. You know, helping out was still helping out instead of being truly equal. It would be really refreshing if the generation under us decided that, you know, you, d you didn't have to have it all.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Okay, let's move on to the loves of your life. So your first one is a place that's very special to you. So tell us what it is and why you've chosen it. This, uh, so this place is Stamia Bay in, in North Cornwall. Um, I grew up on the moors in the middle of Cornwall and uh, we would go camping to the north coast as a holiday. So those were our summer holidays. And I couldn't really swim when I was little because you know, it's quite expensive to learn to swim mm. and there aren't many indoor pools in Cornwall. So, you know, you either swim in the sea or don't and I couldn't. So, but I wanted to spend time with my dad. So my dad used to drive me on the back of his motorbike because he was a policeman, he had a police motorbike, to a, a pool on a Sunday and we'd swim and I was useless at it. But we'd also swim in the sea. Uh, and then when I hit midlife and unraveled, the one thing that I found helped me was cold water swimming. Now, it's not, I don't know what you call it, wild swimming, but this was six, seven years ago. So we started it. It, it really, it was like meditation for me. I, I really, and I learned to do front crawl and I did a big swim across Lake Geneva with friends. It was just, I learned so much and it brought Dama Bay back into my life again because we go a lot. We've got a house in Cornwall now uh, there. And it's a tiny little beach and we, I swim there when I think I'm going mad again. <laughs> and we used to go there and my kids have been brought up on that beach. You know, you've got four kids, you can't really take them on holiday abroad. It's too expensive and it's chaos. So it's a really special, it is a love of my life, but then it's made swimming the love of my life as well. So it's a kind of swim place uh, thing. And I've met loads of, when you're an outdoor swimmer, you will swim with anybody because not many people want to swim on their own. It's quite dangerous. And I've met about three friends just on the beach <laughs> at Damer, and they're really good friends now. Um, it's just it's just a really special place. I want to ask you about cold water swimming because obviously I think now it's quite well known that this is brilliant for your mental health, but I also know so many writers who love it and find it really helpful. I wonder if you think what the link might be there between being someone who is a writer and has a creative mind and also finds a lot of solace in that kind of physical activity? I think it's, um, there's a lot of research being done on, you know, what happens in the brain with the fight or flight thing. Because when you first, I mean, I swim right down to nought degrees. We, I swim all the way through the winter, so, which is a bit unusual, but it's, um, it's amazing. Um, so there's that kind of research going on because it does, I feel brilliant for about three days. But for, for me, it's the lack of audio. It's just not being able to hear the whole of the world going on mm. around me. I think when you swim, you go, you, once you change what you can hear, you actually, you go, you go into your head a little bit more. And I think you can start to unknot problems and you can start to solve 
things. Yeah, I mean, and also I think the, the really, we know, and from all the research, and I spoke to so many experts on this, the number one indicator of a long, happy, healthy life is your social connections. It's 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 healthier for you. You can you can eat the best diet, you can do all those things, but unless you have those social connections, mm. you you physically won't live as long. That there's so many surveys on it. It was such a, it just kept coming at me all, in all the research. So you have to meet people and I've have met so many people, new people and been very curious to them in midlife from swimming. It's just mm. you're outside you're meeting people. So I think that's probably as important as the physical. As I think the physical aspect is probably yeah. kind of, I mean, I swim also with a lot of swimmers who don't put their head in the water and just have their bubble hats on. So Do you put your head in the water? Yeah, I'm in front crawl swimming, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Actually, I feel cold even thinking about it. The most I've done is the ladies pond because I'm a millennial cliche and I only do that in like hot, hot weather. <laughs> and that I find okay, but I, I used to live quite close to it and the thought of, and I remember there's a real community of women who go there every day because it's open all year round as it's well. It's kind of uplifting. You know, yeah. I've met so many, you know, people will support you and chat with you, even talk to strangers. It's yeah. really lovely. So your second love um, is a really useful writing tool that I think yeah. would be very helpful to aspiring writers listening to this podcast. So tell us why you've chosen it and what it is. It might sound yeah, silly. It's not a pen. It's not a pen, <laughs> it's but it's thing. the other thing, yeah. <laughs> um, I noticed when I stopped working three years ago in a full-time job editing a magazine that my house was filled with notebooks, which obviously it would be. I'm a journalist, that's you know old school, you, mm -hmm. you keep notebooks. But also, I suddenly remembered back to my childhood when my house was filled with notebooks. And I wasn't a journalist um, then. And I used to make, um, I used to have a big scrapbooker. I used to make magazines um, and keep notebooks as well. So right the way from probably the age of five or six, all the way through, all I've done is write things in notebooks. And I've noticed that now I have more time to think about it. It's sort of that, what a millennial would call journaling, I guess, <laughs> in a way. I had a parenting column, I had to keep notes. Um, I did big investigations, I had to keep notes. I did cover star interviews, I had mm -hmm. to keep notes. So all of these notebooks are kind of surrounding me and weirdly, I just keep getting sent notebooks and I've got a real, when paper chase shut, I got yeah. real anxiety. I got very nervous about where I would get notebooks from, <laughs> it's, I get a bit stressed if I haven't got a notebook, I don't, it's almost, it's like, you know, when your kids are little and something, you know, we had two kids that had dummies and two that didn't want them and I used to get a bit nervous taking the one that liked dummies out because I'd think, oh my God, I better take this in case she gets upset, whereas with notebooks, I'm exactly the same, I think if I haven't got one, what, it, it will be difficult for me to be who I am, so mm -hmm. notebooks, I'm very attached. And Finally, I want to ask you about your third love, who is a brilliant musician. Why have you chosen the phenomenal Patti Smith? <laughs> I'm, I'm completely in love with Patti Smith. I think why I chose her is because she never, she wouldn't call, I don't think she'd call herself a musician. She would call herself a poet, an artist, mm. a performer, a, a writer. And, you know, she just is all the things that women can be. And she's mm -hmm. completely unapologetic about that. You can't really put her in any box. And I think when you get to your late 40s and early 50s, there's a sense of playfulness that comes back in your life. And you want to be creative again. And if you've got lucky enough to have a bit of time to do it, you start to explore that. You stop thinking, I must do this because I will be a success. And then I must do this around it. You start thinking... Well, I might, you know, we've met so many women on the podcast who take up all sorts of hobbies and completely change direction because they tap into this kind of creative bit 
And Patty's had it since she was born. So mm. I just look at that and think, wow, that's kind of amazing. She just, and I don't know if you've ever seen her, her stories live, when she performs live, she has notes in her pocket. <laughs> and she does a bit of music, she does a bit of chat, and then she gets the notes out of her pocket and, and there'll be notes she's written on something she's seen during the day. Oh, wow. And she'll just talk about that. So every time you see her, it's completely different. And I, you, know, you would know, you could see her on Thursday and on Friday it would be a different show. So she's just this sort of, living breathing thing that makes you question mm. and think and be more curious and not shut down and think black and white about things i think i just mm. and also obviously i worked in fashion for 30 years sat in the front row for 30 years and i would say i've never seen a fashion shoot mood board without a picture of patty smith on it she is abs absolutely integral yeah. to every kind of fashion shoot that her defining visual aesthetic is subliminally in almost everything you touch fashion-wise. So it's so important. I think she's just one of those women that's so important mm. to us. And she was one of the first people on Substack, with the new newsletter platform. And you think, how can Patty, who's yeah. 70s now, be... I don't know, she just plants those little seeds there as well. She's quite amazing. And I know you've, you've met her, haven't you? Yes. So what... What's it's terribly it like? disappointing. It's really upsetting. Oh no! Well, for I was going to ask you this because what do you make of the phrase "never meet your idols"? No, do don't. You? Oh, really? Never, ever, oh, ever, never, happened? ever meet your idols. <laughs> it was terrible. I, I met her at a literary festival, and obviously, I'm obsessed with books. Mm. I judged the Women's Prize of Fiction last year. I can't, again, I can't move anywhere without a book. I read loads and loads of books, and I thought, well, this is perfect, isn't it? I know about books. I can't. This would be brilliant. And the, <laughs> I went backstage with a friend um, to be introduced, and I was introduced, I was editing Elle at the time, and there was a terrible, terrible pause. There was just a pause, and I didn't, I just froze. And I've met, this is going to sound such a showy off here, I've met presidents, politicians, prime ministers, I've interviewed every A-lister for covers of the magazine, I've had famous singers sing things to me, Madonna sent me a 40th birthday card, I've literally done, wow, I am not story. in any way famous <laughs> by famous people, they really don't mean, you know, yeah. they're just people, it's not, it's, I'm kind of immune to it, it's lovely when they're very talented, but I'm sort of immune to it, but I was, I just couldn't move, I couldn't, didn't speak, and Patty said, you have nice hair. <laughs> Which you don't want that on your gravestone, no. do you? It's the th it's the least how you look is the least important thing about you. And I thought that's what that's the worst thing. If yeah. I'd written down what is the worst thing that Patty Smith, your idol, could say to you, that would be that would be it, and it had happened. And it was I could see the phrase come out, and it was floating around, and I thought I don't. I just said thank you. <laughs> that was it. That was the end. I mean, it is so a don't funny thing. Your idols. Yeah, don't. I had. I have a similar story with someone I met whose work I just adore and really admire. And I met her at a party, and a similar thing. I was quite drunk, and so was she. So I don't remember all of the tidbits of conversation. But one of the things I remember is that she told me that I had a nice bum, and it was great. But also, it's like. I'm I'm also clever and I'm a writer and I have really I want to talk to you about these things but I can't and then I was just like thank you. <laughs> they're also it. they're in your mind, aren't they, people, as a thing because you touch them in the places that you know mean something to you. So seeing them in real life makes it sort of t takes the walls away. I would I just think yeah. I think one should not. I think ever you're not supposed it. to though, are you? Because it's like the fact that they're removed is part of what feeds your yeah. admiration I think doesn't it and part of like what feeds the kind of glorification in a way because maybe you're not supposed to 
be mates with well, them. Well, <laughs> I did. I did um, meet Oprah Winfrey, who is another one of my huge. I just think she's she's been amazing. That was a better scenario. All you interviewed her. Didn't I you? interviewed her, but she was the scariest thing more, to do. That was the worst <laughs> thing. Yeah, anyone. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my career. Did you go and interview Oprah Winfrey on stage? Oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) I was nearly sick in the waist (laughs) bin before I went out. But she was absolutely what you would expect. Mm. She was just, she was just the whole package. But she's a different thing, isn't she? She knows how, you know, Patsy is, uh, Patty is an artist. It was a different. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different medium. I think I was less emotional about Oprah than Patty. (laughs) Um, Finally, before we go, I just want to ask you what you think the future of this great print journalism industry is where it's going now you know in 2023 where do you think is there a place for it what does that look like and how is that going to change I mean it's already changing loads well I mentor um, a few journalism young female journalism students and I you know we ran some really great uh, competitions to get you know writers from more diverse backgrounds into newspapers when I was at the Sunday Times but it's it's hard to, to envisage what will happen to actual print, mm. but journalism, the world needs journalism. Everybody needs to be, you know, we're partly our own journalists now finding things out. But what I find is the checking of facts is a really big skill that is missing quite a lot from social media and yeah, online. People don't, and that's that authority is really needed. And an absolute love and passion for something really means people will explore it to its utter depths and become an expert on it, and we still need that. So I don't think there will ever not be storytelling. There will always be storytelling via journalism um, and investigation. So I think that will always stay. It'll just be the medium, won't it? So. You know, mediums change almost every year now, don't they? Um, mm. What I fear for is the, the lushness of fashion and the beauty of that visual art. There, I, I miss fashion photography because I don't see as much of it as I would like to see yeah, uh, anymore. And I don't see the, the glory of it from the, the old days when these big 20-page stories would appear in Italian Vogue and you could absorb them and mm. look at all that. You know, it wasn't really about the clothes, it was really about the photography and the art and the medium. So I miss that a little bit. I think there's less of that than mm. there should be. God, yeah, I mean, I could have a whole conversation with you about the fashion industry now. That's all been kind of ruined by social media, but I'll save that for another another thing. I find whenever I go to the shows and I'm like, Ugh so uninspired because everyone's also just on their phones and well I think young designers are pretty phenomenal actually I think that's kind of being everything trying everything I think fashion will come through this because it is you know it's a massive industry it's an economic banker for Mm. most um, companies and and for for most economies in the world so that will always be there and how and what you wear is so firmly part of what you're so important such a huge part of your identity Mm. and I see a lot of exciting stuff happening with young fashion now that's it for today thank you so much for joining us you can listen to love lives on all major podcast platforms and you can also watch us on independent tv all major social media platforms and all connected devices i will see you soon bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com 
Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 